Okay, I have script your account to my patient 2410 from the from the common English Bible. And it's on the screen, so you guys can just follow me. It says, however God is rich in mercy, he brought us to life with Christ while we were dead, as a result of those things that we did wrong. He did this because of the great love that he has for us. You are saved by God's grace, and God raises us up and seat us in the heavens with Christ, with, with Christ Jesus. God did this to show future generations the greatness of this of His grace, but the goodness that God has shown us in Christ Jesus. You are saved by God's grace because of your faith. This salvation, God's gift. It's not something you possess. It's not something you did that you can be proud. Instead, we are God's accomplishment, created in Christ Jesus to do good things. God planned, God planned for these good, good things to be the way that we live our lives. Would you pray with me this morning for the scripture? Thank you, God, for this morning. Thank you, God, for the scripture. Um, I pray that you prepare our hearts this morning to receive what you have for us to receive what uh, Pastor Dave is going to preach, and uh, we pray that you use his life, Lord. Um, thank you for this wonderful morning, and thank you for the gift that you have given us, for your love and your mercy. And thank you, God, for our anniversary of one year being here. It's been such a blessing, and I pray that uh, you continue to bless this place and in our lives. Thank you, God, in your name we pray. Amen. We are continuing in Ephesians, if it's your first time here. Uh, we've been two weeks in Ephesians chapter 1, and now we're at the top of Ephesians chapter 2. And, uh, you know, the temptation for me when I'm uh, tackling a book is to really study it and, like, be really nervous, actually, about breaking it down for people. But I feel in my spirit that God wants me to preach and uh, inspire and, and speak, speak from my heart. And we'll do a little breaking down as well. Um, but when two people get married, they are joining two households together, right? Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, or Genesis in the creation account, it says, the man and the woman will leave and be their families and be cleaved together, right? Two households are being cleaved. Um, and 20 or 30 or for some people, 40 or 50 years of influence, values, diet, traditions, idiosyncrasies, and bad habits are coming together, are being cleaved together when two households come together. For example, Janice, which, who is my wife, got married. Uh, I was 28. She was 27. I had 28 years of being a sim, which is my last name. And she had 27 years of being a Lee. So the Sims and the Lees were coming together. And my, uh, my mother, uh, growing up, my dad was a pastor. My mom uh, was a stay-at-home mom. And so I grew up really used to having a full pot of steaming pot of rice fresh every day. And the table always being full of wonderful Korean food you know, stews and meats, everything that my father loved, everything that I loved, and it would just be out there. And in fact, I was one of those spoiled kids. If there wasn't something I liked, I'd throw a tantrum, like, I'm hungry, ah! Right? 
I would slap. I would slap myself if I was if I liked him. I wouldn't slap myself. I would ground. I would ground myself. So my mom was a stay-at-home mom, and she cooked for us all the time. She cooked yummy Korean foods, like I said, and you know all the little side dishes. If you've been to a Korean restaurant, all the little side dishes. Uh, no one remembers the names of them, but they're forms of kimchi and other vegetables. Um, they were all there. Janice grew up in a single-parent home. Her mother overcame language and got her nursing degree and raised two amazing children single-handedly. Uh, so we had different backgrounds. And Janice's mom cooks a mean, mean Korean food. Uh, but growing up, Janice naturally liked more American fare, like mac and cheese and fish sticks and mm -hmm. lasagna and frozen dinners and stuff like that. Uh, to her, Uncle Ben's was a real, was real rice, right? That's like a travesty. <laughs> what? What? So when we were married, at first, maybe the first two years or so, I had a hard time adjusting, right? We'd both come home from work, and I'd just be sitting at the table. <laughs> right? And, uh, and no food was magically appearing. And I'd be like, Janice, you know, and throwing a man tantrum, you know, man tantrum. Oh, I'm sick. Oh, I'm hungry. Um, and she'd be like, there are burritos in the freezer. What? Burritos? Where's my rice? Where's my kimchi? Where are my stews? And so I had some adjusting to do and some shaping that God had to work in my heart. But of course, Janice had much more to adjust to. For instance, to name one, The Sims, okay, sorry if I offend anyone, are very gaseous people. We are a gaseous family. And we're open about it, right? And we let it fly. And I, I would grow up letting it fly. And I would expect laughter, right? I learned very soon that farting on Janice was not, can I say that in church? Was not a laughing matter. I learned very quickly that that was a deal breaker. And she's actually said, if I had known this about you when we first met, before we got married, we might not have even dated. <laughs> like, whew, got in. Um, the other value is sleep. I grew up in a family where everyone was up by 6 a.m. It was an unspoken value. Wake up early and be diligent and industrious. Wake up early, and that's the time to do your devotions, to pray and be with God, right? My soul longeth hard after thee. Early in the morning, I rise up to greet thee, right? And my father drilled that into us. Wake up and be studious, study. We're not allowed to watch TV or do whatever um, before noon, all that kind of stuff. And so I still feel that. Like when my kids look at their phone or ask to watch their Kindle at 10 a.m. or 9 a.m., I'm like, <laughs> you're like, no, you go study. <laughs> it's Saturday. What about Saturday morning cartoons? And so that's kind of a built-in value. Janice, on the other hand, loves herself some sleeping in. Right? On the weekends, She's a night owl and loves sleeping in. She needs eight hours of sleep 
per knife to function no matter what. I'm satisfied with five, and six hours is actually a luxury for me. Right? And so I'm a morning person, and Saturday morning, I'm like the sound of music. The hills are alive with the sound of music. Janice is like, ah, right? Covers her face with her hair. Get out of here. But even though there's two households coming together, the beauty of children, of natural children, the, the genetics of it, is that they're a genius blend of both Janice and I. And I'm amazed every time that I see that. Um, it's a genius blend of genetics and nurture, right? So Isaiah, my son, he yells at me when I fart on him. I'm like, oh, Isaiah, he's a boy, I'll just hurt, pull my finger, right? And he's like, what are you, a frat boy? Um, he yells at me, and at the same, but at the same time, the flip side of that is that he's up at six with me, and he's a happy morning person. So it's a switch, right? Cammy is the hardest person in our house to get up in the morning, right? I have to fight her every morning to get her up for school, and I blame Janice. <laughs> and yet, she will giggle so loud during our bedtime gaseous moments. We'll like compete under the covers and like blow it to each other and she'll just crack up. It's like, what a mixture, right? Two households coming together. And when we read, come with me. When we read Ephesians chapter two, what is Paul saying? Paul is saying that there are two households in creation, right? Two very different households. And I know in a family, you know, facetiously I was joking about it. There's not bad or good. It's not like I'm bad and Janice, the Lees are, are good. But in Paul's eyes, yes, there's a good household, the household of God, and there's a bad household. Household of evil. Two very different households. And that word, remember that word household, because that becomes important um, in this chapter and later on. Because Paul is playing off the word household, which um, is an important structure um, in that time. And also the same language that is given for the empire, the Roman Empire. So the household, your household, is under one male leader, right? And every, everyone falls under that, and there's a hierarchy. And Caesar, right, was the head of the household of Rome, and everything falls under that hierarchy. And so, really, when Paul is talking about, he's, like, he's saying, he's using the language of the times and the political and familial social structures of the time, but to describe what he wants the household of faith to be about. Because he'll talk about the church or the people of God as the household. And we are building you up in the house to a household of God. And this is why we, we this, I've made this series, um, Communities of Blessing. Right? What does it mean to be the household of God? What does it mean to be the church that's marked, right, 
and identified by God. Amen? It's different. What are the implications of that? We are to be a community that's blessed and named and identified as children of God to be a blessing, to extend that familyness. And we're going to talk more about that. But just think about creation. When we go back to the story of Genesis, the story of creation and the original sin and the fall, um, it's the serpent that says, did God really say? Right? God says, you get to eat. This garden is yours. I made this creation for you. Everything in it, eat it. Go play. Have a good time. Do the floss, right? Hype. <laughs> do whatever you want. But one thing, don't eat from this tree. Don't eat from this tree. The ser- or else you will surely die. The serpent comes and says to Adam and Eve, did God really say that? Did he really say you'll surely die? He's not, he's not even, he's just introducing, or the serpent is introducing doubt, right, about what God said, about the word of God. And that is the beginning of the fork in the road, if you will, the two houses. And this is what Paul is saying. At one time, you were dead. It's just very clear. You were dead. And everyone in Ephesus at the church is like, I didn't feel dead, right? I went to school. I went to work. I went to my parties. I did this and that. I raised a family, whatever. I did not feel dead before I knew Jesus, before I knew God in this way. But Paul's like, you were dead. Dead. Because we, you identified yourself with the spirit of disobedience to God, right? The, the spiritual power the, of the prince of darkness in the air. And basically, he's saying there's a force at work, right? There's a different household, a different family. And if you play that out, if you play that out, ultimately, leads to death. And God, the creator, is saying, I'm the God of life. Have you forgotten? I think you've forgotten because you listened to that voice that said, did God really say that? Is God really about that? Does he really love you? Does he really have your best interests in mind? I think he's just a jealous God. I think he's a petty God. I think he wants to crush you and stomp on you and not let you have good things because he's a small God. That's what I think. Paul's like, no, actually, the, the reverse is true. Before you, before you knew it, before you were conscious, conscious, when you were in your mother's womb, He imprinted you, all you Twilight fans. He imprinted on you. (laughs) You might not have remembered it. You might not have known it. But he breathed life into you. That's that's the beautiful image at creation, right? God breathed life into humanity. He gave life. He was our first breath. 
He's the breath in our lungs. And that's why we want to pray. That's why we want to jump up and down. And praise because it's God's breath in our lungs. Are you with me, church? So you were dead. And it's interesting that uh, in this passage, I will throw in some Greek here. I'm, I'm bad at Greek stuff. But uh, the word walked, the Greek word walked, right? It's uh, so in, in verse one, in which you is actually translated, in which you formerly walked according to the force of this world, according to the prince of power and the heir of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. In our translation, it says, you used to live like the people of this world, you followed the rules and structure of the power. But that, you walked in this lifestyle, right? It makes me think of, uh, what are the commercials? You can get with this, or you can get with that. You can get with this, or you can get with that. Like, who are you aligning with? Who are you hanging out with? Who are you, you know, what air are you breathing? That's, that's what Paul is talking about. What, to walk is like, what is your lifestyle? Like, what are you, how are you choosing to live your life? How are you choosing to live your life? So that's at the top. At the bottom, once again, we see that uh, in chapter or verse 10. Instead, we are God's accomplishment created in Christ Jesus to do good things. God planned for these good things to be the way that we live our lives. Right? You can, it's literally trans, translated. God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Right? Again, you can walk with the serpent. You can walk destruction and non-life, or you can walk with me, just like Adam and Eve walked with me in the garden. And when I called, they knew my voice, and when they spoke, I recognized their voice, and they weren't ashamed to be vulnerable and naked before me, because they were walking with me. Are you starting to get it? Who are you walking with? To what household do you belong? Who's your family? And a lot of times we have become so desperate to find a place because we've been lost that we'll go to anything to find belonging and family. And God is saying, no, you belong to me. Have you forgotten? You belong to me. I remember you. Will you remember? Verse 4 and 5, I love it. In the Common English Bible, verse 4 starts off, However, God is rich in mercy. He brought us to life with Christ while we were dead as a result of those things that we did wrong. But I think this part is boring. <laughs> However, God is rich in mercy. He brought us to life with Christ while we were dead as a result of things. But I like the NRSV was where it's, but God, right? Because I love the buts of God. You were dead, but God. That's 
You were dead, but God. You were lost. You're desperate. You're hungry. And you keep eating things, eating things, eating things, and it's just flowing out of your body. And it's not satisfying you. And you want security so bad. Like, is my job enough? Is my income enough? Some of us live in fear in this country. Fear of the authorities. Fear of, of whether we will be seen as first-class citizens, as belonging in this place, or we're just foreign, or we'll be literally kicked out of this country. And we want that security, and housing prices are going up, and everything is so expensive, and I just lost my job, or I'm not, I didn't get that raise. I have to work overtime, I have to work double time, I have to work during the holidays, right? Just to make ends meet. And we're striving, and we're striving, and we're drinking, and all the while, we're lonely too. We long for family and community and belonging. Right? We want to go where everybody knows our name. <laughs> that dates me. Um, and nothing satisfies because the well is just dirt. Right? It's dust. But God. And what does this mean? God who is rich. And remember from chapter one, you are heirs. You have all the spiritual blessings in the inheritance. God is rich in his mercy. Rich! And he brought you back to life in Christ. Amen? Amen. You were dead, and he brought you back to life. Amen. He did this because of the great love that he has for us. And you are saved by grace. Right? And I don't know how to say this because... Sometimes these kind of words go into your ear and not the other. Oh, we're saved by grace, not by faith, blah, blah, blah. right? Not by grace, but by faith. La, 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 la. Right? We're saved. But Paul is not just talking about something we cognitively get in our head. Oh, God saves us. I, couldn't, I can't save myself, so I have faith in him, and I'm saved by grace. It's not because of my works. Right? Let's go home. Sunday school lesson. We're good. But if you think of it, again, in terms of identity and belonging and household, God has opened the doors of his house. Think of the prodigal son. God has opened the doors back of his house and saying, I've been waiting. Come back. Come back to the Like, what are you doing out there barefoot and in the snow? saved by God's grace because of your faith. The salvation is God's gift. It's not something you possessed. It's not something you did that you can be proud of. Instead, we are God's accomplishment created in Christ Jesus. There's a creation language, right? Going back to creation, 
You were made by God. You belong to God. You are his accomplishment. We are the reflection. We are the Mago Dei, the reflection of God's glory, right? When people and the world and all of creation sees you, they see God's handiwork. They see his twilight imprint on your heart, right? And they stay away, right? That person belongs to God. That means you're beautiful. My wife always gets on me because sometimes when I make mistakes or I'm feeling self-deprecating, I'll be like, I hate myself. It's just a habit. I hate myself. It's like Chris Farley's, stupid, stupid, stupid. <laughs> it's like, don't hate yourself. Don't call yourself stupid. Don't hate yourself. Right? And we shouldn't hate ourselves. We should love ourselves. Because you are. You see, you see what Paul's doing in a letter? He wants to inspire and encourage people, right? And sometimes we go through life like, I live in Seattle or the Puget Sound area. Prepare yourself for the 90 days of rain straight. <laughs> for you who just moved here from California, it's coming. Winter is coming. <laughs> And you'll see Seattleites, locals, walking around, sipping coffee, wearing blue socks with sandals, <laughs> no umbrella. It's just pouring rain. Their hair is getting wet. Aye. They don't look up from the ground. We won't look up from the ground. We just Everything just shuts down. I'm surprised work even gets done. We're just like, oh. so much good for you. Amen? And I invite you to embrace that identity. Embrace that truth and knowledge. That you are God's handiwork and accomplishment. You belong to God. You are part of his household. You were dead. And the amazing gift is that you're alive again. And when you know that, when you embody that, our words become words of life to other people around us instead of words of death, right? Instead of competing or being jealous or tearing down our coworkers, we're like, we're giving them, giving that away. We're giving to them. We're loving on them. Instead of being like, I don't have enough energy to even love my children or my wife or my best friend, right? Because of who you are in Christ, He's made you alive to do good. And that's Paul's final point. Instead, we are God's accomplishment created in Christ to do good things. That's where it makes sense, right? He's like, on the one hand, he said, there's nothing you could do to save yourself. Right? It's all God, so no one can boast. Then why are you saying I should do good things? That don't make sense. Right? It makes sense when you're talking about identity and walking. Right? That's where it makes sense. Relationship. Right? When you know who, to whom you belong and to who you belong, right? The natural outpouring is that you're alive in Christ. And you will do good things. 
God, thank you so much for your word, and thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ who saved us, who continues to save us, that your grace and love and mercy is real time. It's, face, it's better than Facebook Live. It's better than our story, our social media stories. It's going on. You're wanting to renew us. You're wanting to embrace us. You're wanting to hold us. You're wanting to uplift us. You're wanting to call us by a, a new name, by your name, the name that you've given us. We are royalty in you. We are beautiful. You bring beauty instead of ashes, a crown of glory instead of our shame. And God, if there are people in this room that are struggling with shame, uh, addiction, pain, uh, things that are, uh, seem to give death and we can't escape it, I pray that you, your Holy Spirit will work to turn that around. Turn that around, Lord. We ask these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.